Greetings, everyone, and welcome to Horror Queers, where it's all about the brains. I'm your new host, Brother Ghoulish. I know you all were expecting Joe and Trace for last week's episode. However, my tomb's under renovation, and I really liked it here, so I decided to take over. So, without further ado, I... Oh. <laughs> hey, Joe. Hey, Trace. How's it going? Oh my god, Ryan. Stop trying to make Brother Ghoulish happen. It's not going to happen. <sighs> Sorry, folks. And welcome back to Horror Queers. We're talking decapitations galore. We're talking Little Red Riding Hood again. And we're talking our very first German film. And I'm Joe. And I'm Trace. And we are talking one very erect penis. Oh, wow. Yeah. Give me that full frontal, right? I am not laughing at the fact that there's an erect penis in this movie. I'm not that juvenile. But um, it, it just so happens that this is the second, like, horror release this year that I... I mean, this is obviously... Sorry, everyone. We're talking Till Climbers, this <laughs> Der Samurai. Um, and we normally don't, like, talk about streaming and stuff um, in the episode because obviously streaming licenses change. But because this is kind of a, a lesser-known film, I'm just going to say if you're listening to this when around the time the episode drops, um, this is streaming on Shudder and mm-hmm. Tubi, at least in the States. All right. Cool, cool. But yeah, uh, but this and Violation, which is also on Shutter, actually, is another film with a very right. erect penis. And so it's just, um, I'm enjoying it because I'm like, yay, like equal opportunity mm-hmm. nudity. But I'm also, it's such a foreign concept to me outside of like porn. Oh, yeah. It's all about normalizing that dick. And the sad reality is that 90% of the time we do have to go to places like Germany and France to get penises or in Violation's uh, situation in Canada. Hello. Well, yes, but also, like, I mean, the thing with an erect, but it, it, you can show a soft penis now and get that, you know, rated R for graphic nudity from the MPAA, mm-hmm. but if it's an erect penis, you better believe you're not getting an R rating. Oh my goodness, yeah, we're still in the dark ages when it comes to human <laughs> sexuality. But anyway, the samurai. <laughs> yes, no, but we, we, of course, I think we need some help to talk about this movie, because even though it's only 79 minutes long, like, there is a lot. So much. <laughs> so much going in on this in this movie. movie. <laughs> So yeah, l- let's bring in our guest, everyone. They are the co-creator of Transploitation, along with previous guest Ren Crane from our episode on Excision. Um, Transploitation is uh, going to be a website focused on inclusive trans and non-binary perspectives, and it's also going to be an upcoming book that will explore trans and non-binary representation in the horror genre. Everyone, please welcome Tenbaki. Hello. Hi. 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 The crowd goes wild. I'm just kidding. <laughs> We're going wild. Thank you so much for joining us for this. I don't know. We were talking about it offline before we started recording, and all of us are like, I need time to process this movie because yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's just so much going on. I, I mean, I watched this on Monday. And which is not something I normally do because I normally like to watch the movie like the day before or the day of, so it's fresh in my mind. But I knew I was like, I'm gonna need to watch this twice. So I watched it Monday, gave myself three days, watched it today again, and I still don't know how I feel about it. Yeah, mm. I watched this movie last night, and to be honest, I didn't really have any idea what this movie was in any capacity. I was like, oh, Samurai, cool, like got it. And then mm-hmm. I was like, this is not that. This is this is no. totally yeah. not that. Okay, <laughs> this is a, its own thing. So my processing has been very minimal because I went to sleep after watching it. Uh, I didn't have any wild dreams or anything, but I, okay. I, I, I haven't got to fully process it. It's very interesting, very different movie. Yeah, I don't know if this made it in the edit in whatever episode we were talking. Maybe it was in the it fly did. or it in It did Candyman. make it in the edit, yeah. Oh. <laughs> 
because <laughs> basically when Joe, so Joe put this on the schedule and then like, we're talking about it last week. Oh, we're going to talk about Der Samurai. And then Joe's like, oh yeah, it's German. And I was like, I thought it was Japanese. <laughs> Which I definitely made fun of you for, but in reality, if you're just looking at the English language title, samurais are typically associated with Japanese culture, so it would make sense. And honestly, even when you watch this movie, the minute that you see a katana come out of that fucking parcel, you're just Mm -hmm. like, what am I watching? What is happening here? (laughs) Yeah, that was pretty much a, a big moment. Well, right before that, that whole scene was like a pretty big moment where I was like, what? Mm hmm. I mean, everything about this movie, it's, again, much like with both of you, not at all what I expected. You know, it's kind of like, as Joe said, it's our second Red Riding Hood kind of thing. Well, actually, kind of third. 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 (laughs) After Freeway and the Wolves of Cromer. But yeah, Mm -hmm. also like this kind of fairy tale fable thing, even if you remove the wolf, uh, the the Red Riding Hood aspect, like, yeah, this has really been our year of off-kilter werewolf or uh, wolf adaptations things. I like to think that we're just doing our part to bring werewolves back. I love that. I love all lycanthropes, honestly. Although I gotta <laughs> say, like the mer mermaid, like oh, oh yes, more, yeah, yeah. Yes. I'm a big fan. Oh my god! Stay tuned for the lure. We will definitely cover that oh, at some point. I don't know how much I'm supposed to say, but I did just recently do a different podcast for the lure that is not currently available to listen to, but it will be. Oh, good, good. <laughs> no, you can totally say that. Plug away. <laughs> I'll just say that it will be soon. <laughs> Coming soon to a podcast near you. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay. I mean, so uh, normally our structure for this, you know, I'll I'll go through kind of release and reception. And I, 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 the only thing I have really for release is, you know, this, this premiered in April of 2014 at Tribeca before hitting DVD and Blu-ray in the States the following June of 2015. Um, uh, Thanks to Philly based art exploitation films for snatching this up and actually giving it a release. Yes. Yeah. I don't think that this would, this would have really seen the light of day. At least in North America, um, if some if they wouldn't have picked it up, yeah. And I'm not going to lie. So I know that we often talk about different companies like Severin or Arrow or Scream Factory, but I do want to give a shout out to Artsploitation because they are digging into some very weird titles and often very queer titles. So if you haven't ever checked out their catalog, I do encourage you to do so because you will uncover weird gems, kind of like this. This movie's queer. Hmm. I'm j- I was trying to make a joke. It didn't work. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, can we go back? Let's go back. Ha ha ha. Wait, that's like if I delivered a punchline. That's normally my role on no, this I podcast. No, I know. I can never tell when Joe's joking because I always think he's so serious. <laughs> and he's like, I was making a joke. And I was like, oh, like you should have made that more clear. <laughs> <laughs> Your tone was too monotone. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> I need to speak less like a robot and then laugh at my own joke. Yes. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, so I, I, this didn't go to theaters, obviously, so I have no box office information for y'all. Mm-mm. We are looking at a 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, granted, based on nine reviews, but our average score is 7.9 out of 10. Letterboxd is a little bit lower. It's an average score of 6.4 out of 10. And then, yeah, I mean, this is uh, written and directed by Till Kleinert, which, if you listen to our Microqueers episode uh, from last week on Boys Village, uh, it's same writer-director. So hopefully mm-hmm. you did watch that as a nice little primer for this film. Yeah, he also directed an award-winning short called Cowboy, which we're hoping to do on Microqueers someday. It's not super available with English language subtitles, but this is an award-winning director for short films, and this is then his feature film debut. Trace, this is also his uh, 
like his equivalent of an MFA like thesis film. So he actually got government funding from Germany to make Ugh. this movie. And it's one of those rare instances where because Germany is kind of like uh, Canada and Australia and other Commonwealth countries, it is not a Commonwealth country to be clear, but it, it has its own government funding for local films and they do not like genre films in germany so this was like even though it's only from 2014 it was a bit of a big deal that they said oh you're making a genre film and then it also happens to be super fucking queer it is at that and it's so funny funny enough i didn't understand the commonwealth system before we started this podcast and so when joe like made a reference to government funding for film i was literally like what oh yeah no i've honestly only heard of it because of canada because i know know a lot of people had gone to canada to have their movies made specifically for that reason oh yes we do provide those generous generous tax breaks <laughs> oh yes fantastic <laughs> but i mean we kind of touched on you know our, our well lack of thoughts on this film but i mean like what did y'all what did y'all think of this movie so i enjoyed this movie in in a way that i and I've referred to a lot of films like this in a way that I enjoy it, but I don't want to necessarily re- recommend it to like a general audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is not going to be for everybody. Yeah, very specific people. And it's not because I don't think they'll like it, but it's because I'm, I'm would be concerned with the way it represents certain things yeah. that could be harmful to people who have never experienced or seen those outside of like films like this and i so that's kind of like where i have to like draw a little bit of a line Mm -hmm. where like i'm like oh yeah like i like this film like i i've talked about it today and i told someone else to watch it but i wouldn't go on twitter and be like everyone go and watch this film because i i'm aware that there are parts in it that i think it reminds me of something like saying you know go watch silence of the lambs like it's an award-winning film but it's also something that is harmful and 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 has representation that like some people might see for the first time and and think that that's just how it is so that's kind of where i i have like a hesitance to say yes i loved it but i i did enjoy it and I, i i definitely would watch it again well, I think you're raising a very important point. It's it's obviously one of the reasons that we program the film because we think that there's an interesting and important conversation to be had here. And I guess I was fascinated because I went into this, so I am the one who programmed this because I've had my eye on this film for many years and this was an ideal opportunity to kind of cross it off the list. But everywhere that I read it, you know, the description of the antagonist, the titular samurai, mm-hmm. I was seeing weird terminology and I couldn't figure out if like... it was the film or if it was just people's kind of lack of awareness because I'm like, oh, we don't really talk about transvestite yeah. regularly, right? Like this is an outdated term now. So <sighs> even crossdresser, I mean, and th- this is, I mean, this is something that I had to honestly like search today because I was like, I don't like for me saying the term crossdresser, which is actually what a lot of reviews use. I was like, I don't, mm-hmm. it doesn't sound right coming out of my mouth. And to the point where, I mean, I was even, um, I was with some friends this past weekend and um, one of my, uh, someone in the group was non-binary and uh, they were wearing a dress and, you know, someone was like, oh yeah, uh, he's crossdressing. And I was like, well, it's they. Yeah. But also <laughs> I was like, I don't know really if they're non-binary, if I would call it crossdressing because crossdressing would imply 
like gender specific clothing. And I feel like if you're non-binary, I mean, I'm speaking at this from a cisgender point of view, so maybe I'm wrong, <laughs> but it's also kind of one of those things where it's like, but it's also like, well, how does the person identify? And yeah, the movie, this movie doesn't do anything to let us really know how the titular samurai identifies because I mean, the samurai is kind of, in my opinion, not really a real person. Yeah. But watching this, the movie that kept coming to mind for me was actually uh, Alexander Aja's High Tension. And mm. I don't like High Tension at all. And not only <laughs> Go listen to our nightlife guest star about it. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, you can go listen to me get mad about it there. But it's not even because it's problematic, which it is. I just also think it makes no fucking sense and it's really dumb. But... <laughs> 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 right, which is a potential risk for this film as well, right? Where you can say, well, does it all come together? Like, is Jakob part of the samurai? Is the samurai part of him? And also is the wolf, like, part of this weird, unholy threesome? And the answer is maybe, and also yes, and also no. The way I get around so much of that is because, and this is something a lot of the reviews mention, is that dream-like quality, right? Yes. Like, I can look at this and be like, okay, well, the samurai is not really real. And especially when we get to the final shot of the film, but you have all these people recognizing and talking to the samurai and saying, like looking at him and pointing him out. And those are things that high tension does as well that I get really, really frustrated with. But because this movie kind of takes place in this mystical, like fairy tale dreamland, it doesn't like, to me, it presents it better than something like high tension does. I could see what you're saying with that. And I want to just kind of note on what Joe said, which was, I read a lot of reviews about this film right after watching it. Mm-hmm. Um, specifically the nine Rotten Tomato reviews, the only ones from like from <laughs> Tribeca, <laughs> from the Tribeca festival. Uh, yes. And I, I noticed the same thing. And honestly, I don't even think that it's fair to refer to the samurai as he at all, really, because mm-hmm. there, there, there's never really a descript from that character. And like the fact that they have this effeminate clothing and everyone refers to them as just like he uh, the whole time or a crossdresser or a transvestite, like in the film uh, was very weird. And I, and, and that's why I think that the audience is referring to the character as that. And like, I think the problem is like, that's what trans people experience in real life all the time. And so like, how, how am I to say that? Like, that's actually how that character identifies. I know it's obviously a fictional character, but like, I've just kind of referred to the samurai or the wolf as just like they, or, or she mostly when I've referred to that, that character because of that, because I'm just kind of like, that just feels like where that's heading. Um, in my, in my opinion of that character and like the way that I was viewing the film. I think that's, I don't, I don't want to say right or wrong because I, I, I think the film is so open-ended that you could really apply any reading to it. But admittedly, like I, I, I'm still someone who like is getting used to using they, them pronouns because it's just like this learned habit of just you know of having he she but yeah i I do think that they for they is how i I wrote them in my notes yeah yeah and i think i think it's even fair to to say it because i mean this Mm. character also uh you know has not only doesn't have a gender but they also potentially are a werewolf character (laughs) as far as we're aware as, as far as we're aware so there's a lot of there's a lot of uh a lot of questionable things about this character that you don't really understand. But I will say there was an interview that uh, Joe, I think, shared with with me earlier, which was the director specifically referred to the character as transgender, like in the interview. 
And mm. for me, that would feel like, at, at the very least, we know this character is AMAB, you know, assigned male at birth. So mm. we know that, like, if they're trans of some kind, that that's not how they identify. So that's kind of where I, I would also be able to pull from directly the crea- the writers. So there's at least some type of argument for that there. Yeah, so this is from the posture interview that Till Kleinert did. And he says that one of the inspirations for the film and an inspiration for him, because he is a gay man, was Hedwig and the Angry Inch, which if folks have not seen, cannot recommend it enough. It's a banging rock opera. So Till Kleinert says, I related to the fact that the protagonist and I were both from communist Germany and intensely admired how aggressively nonconformist the character of Hedwig was. It was such a transformative liberation. And for me, the samurai embodies this high-pitched, monstrous expression that is similarly liberating and exciting. For someone like Jakob, he doesn't find the samurai's appearance to be ridiculous, but it does disturb him on a much deeper level because he identifies with it. He's drawn to it. So it's basically the the samurai acts as an opportunity for Jakob as a character to confront his own repression and liberation. So I think for me, yeah, there is like this interesting monstrousness to it, but the monstrosity is not in the fact that this is a they them character. It's the monstrosity is the fact that they liberate Jakob from his very straight lace normal existence. I mean, that's kind of how I view. I mean, even in the opening of the film, when we have Jakob, uh, yeah, <laughs> if I say Jacob, I'm really it. sorry, it might happen. <laughs> but Jakob, uh, <laughs> if, if, when we see Jakob, you know, bringing bags of blood and meat to the I guess the wolves tree housing location, which, and for me, I don't know how y'all read it, but I, I very much view like the wolf isn't like the wolf is the samurai. Like it's just that that is what it is. But yeah. I view it very much. Okay. Like, the, you know, it, it, he's living in a small town, he's repressed. And so he's feeding his impulses to keep them at bay. And that way it won't have to come out. And of course, th- what we see in the film is his impulses actually, or, well, it, I call them impulses, maybe that's not the right word, but um, coming out and like like begging to like be freed. But yes, I don't know, I don't know what, what, how I was tagging that, I don't know what you said, John. <laughs> <laughs> you're fine. I really, I, I agree with what you're saying though, Trace, because Jakob was like this character, I mean, stepping back, trying to not get as deep as I could, Mm -hmm. just very baseline. We see Jakob, you know, doing that, like, with the wolf, like, feeding the wolf, keeping it at bay, not actually taking care of this supposed problem in the story, Mm -hmm. which is this wolf terrorizing the town. And then, of course, throughout the film, we basically see that, like, putting things to the side and not actually dealing with um, with your feelings or with this yep. wolf doesn't work and that um, those uh, those things end up coming out anyway, basically. And finally, obviously, at the end of the film, <clears throat> you have that scene where um, he finally does the right thing and, and sort of expresses everything that he's wanted to express. So, I mean, generally speaking, this film is kind of just a big metaphor for... I guess, repression and also inaction. Um, And that, I mean, as like a general theme, I really liked. Well, and I feel like that's one that has a tendency to come out when you recontextualize trans horror. Like I'm, I'm thinking of the way that people have 
found a way to embrace films like Sleepaway Camp and Silence of the Land, well, less so Silence of the Land. <laughs> But moving away from some of the more boring rote depictions of like, oh my god, hysteria, it's a man in a dress, or uh, a gender non-conforming villain, like, there's opportunities to look at what internalizing or not recognizing who you truly are, what the damaging effects of society forcing people to do that results in. And I think that that's where, for me, the power of trans horror gets to come out is people being like, I can't fucking do this anymore. And when you try to repress me or deny me who I truly am, there will be violent and bloody consequences. Absolutely. Well, and that's where, though, you can enter into problematic territory, right? Because, I mean, as we discussed in our episode on Silence of the Lambs, again, go listen to it. It's a really good episode. And Raina was a great guest. But, like, we, again, have a queer, monstrous villain here. And I think it's, to me, it works a bit differently than in Silence of the Lambs because, again, because of that dreamlike quality. Like, this is very much like a psychosexual thriller um, mm-hmm. as opposed to like, oh, like, here's a crime drama with, um, you know, a transgender villain. And so I, there is an aspect of like, yeah, we don't know really what's going on here so much of it is implied and we have Mm -hmm. to infer things based off of a lot of the visual cues and so i think a lot of the problematic aspects for me are tampered uh, or made i guess not as problematic (laughs) right because of that dream logic we're working with here Mm -hmm. yeah like for me the the closest comparison it's maybe not trans it's more like a eunuch situation but i think back to uh the beauty of something like knife plus heart which also has a queer villain obviously that's a, a penis that has been destroyed in a fire but it has the same kind of, you know, a lot of people like to describe these films as Lynchian because they're a little bit surreal and hallucinatory, which folks we can also call surreal and hallucinatory, not Lynchian. He's not the only person who does it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that film, by the way, Knife and Hearts. Oh, yeah. Yes, One oh my of my God. favorites. It's fucking amazing. Mm-hmm. But I, I like that both of these films do play in that kind of liminal space where you're not exactly sure what is real and we can't always trust exactly what we're seeing and i think for me i go on feeling specifically with this film like we're gonna break it down we're gonna go through the plot beat by beat and yet something about this film is more powerful in the viewing experience just because i think it makes you feel things like the the visuals are where this film's power lies yeah Well, I mean, I guess on that, do we want to jump into the plot then and start breaking this down? Absolutely. Yeah. So we open on a figure in a dress sitting on a bed. And then we follow young police officer Jakob Wolski, who is played by Michel Dreeks. And I apologize to any German listeners. I'm probably going to kill a couple of these names. I think it's Dirks. Oh. (laughs) You know what? Yeah, let's go with that. It might be. It's one of those. It's <laughs> you said it once. You never say it again. <laughs> exactly. That's why I love the names. I'll get it wrong once. I'll get corrected. I'll move on. <laughs> yeah. So as we suggested earlier, he is going into the woods and he's swapping out these bags of meat. So it suggests that he is doing this on the regular. This is not his first time going out here. We don't know how long it's been going on, but people know that he's doing this. But it's his job to get this wolf yeah yeah he's like supposed to be taking care of this 
town problem in quotes like which is this wolf like terrorizing the old ladies and their dogs yeah <laughs> just them <laughs> that's the only ones we see yeah <laughs> i mean let's be clear this is a very small town like by the end of this movie i'm pretty sure we have massacred more than Everyone. half of the population <laughs> yeah honestly i don't even know if anyone else lived in the town well there was like the little model in his room that showed a couple houses and mm-hmm. i guess we didn't they didn't massacre the people whose lawns they destroyed in that one scene yeah i was trying to i had my uh captions on and i was trying to see if there was anybody behind the wall when the samurai is stabbing it and i think you can hear people crying oh, yeah. out so yeah i imagine there's a few people who locked their doors and just prayed for daylight board up your doors the cross-dressing killer is coming down the street that's really what they that's really what they said yeah. <laughs> they, they, yeah. they did <laughs> when they got the police call too, the the sergeant or whatever, he was like, "Are you wearing a dress and running around?" And mm-hmm, he's mm-hmm. like, "No, I'm not at all." Like, don't you believe me? And like, it was very well because because that's the bigger crime, right? Running around wearing a dress as opposed to public vandalism. And it literally and it literally was put out that way. And like, obviously, there was murder too and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but nothing's as bad as a man wearing a dress. Well, what this suggests to me is that we are confronting some very small town mentalities right Mm -hmm. um you know it's interesting to me that kleiner grew up in berlin because that is a big city and he talks about how homophobic it was and how he did not feel comfortable coming out or there like he felt like he was confronting a lot of homophobia and then he deliberately sets his very first feature in a small town with super regressive conservative values and i'm like he's working out some issues here right what you know Basically, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Yaka then goes to investigate, yes, this old woman. She's got her overturned garbage. She's got a dog that won't stop barking. And it seems to be barking, hmm, at Jakob, interestingly <laughs> enough. Uh, she does suggest, though, that it is a wolf, and we do see tracks. So I think if you're watching this film in a literal sense, you're going to be like, oh, yeah, there's a wolf. There are the tracks. He follows it into the woods. I do believe there's a wolf, too. I think that's kind For of sure. the start of the problem, is that there actually is this thing and that he's doing, you know, the not dealing with things like not only internally, but also like in his actual job in life. Mm-hmm. I will confess, it, it may, maybe it took me too long to figure out what was going on here. But at a certain point, I messaged Joe and I was like, OK, I'm about like 48 minutes into this movie. And I, th- I, 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 I know what it's doing now. <laughs> he's like, I don't think the wolf is real. <laughs> but but i'm i i very much watch films very literally at least on a first time viewing like unless i'm told going in like it's a metaphor movie then like I, that's just my brain is instinctively going to like no this is all really happening that's mm-hmm. so funny because i just do the opposite <laughs> <laughs> that's why our letterbox reviews are so different 10 oh my god <laughs> I love this for both of you. <laughs> but no, but I mean, yeah, at a certain point, it's like, all right, like something's not adding up here. Like this, this is very like a, this is like a fever dream. Yes. Yeah. But it does take a little while to go there mm-hmm. because initially like these opening scenes are very much, hey, it's a small town. Like it could be a German Shaun of the Dead situation where everybody just knows everybody. Uh, we've got a police officer who's casually running around solving mundane crimes like hell our introduction to this homophobic police captain Hobarth, who was played by Juve Prose, um, is when he's also acting as a soccer coach and he's calling his players fairies. Oh, this yeah. is in a gay parade. 
yeah, sorry, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. I, I remember being like, oh, cool, we're five minutes that's in right. and I'm clocking homophobic comments. Yeah, it was like right away. Yeah, one of the things that I appreciated about this film on our first time watch was the fact that we don't have Jakob coming out. That's not the purpose of this film. He is a confirmed queer man in the eyes of everybody in this town. It doesn't get him any respect and it does often make him a subject of mockery and disdain but i like that it it wasn't about him being like oh i am gay yes okay that's where i need to be by the end of the film it was like oh i'm gay and i'm mad as hell about it i find that really interesting and that was one thing that i read in a lot of the reviews was that everyone was kind of reading this as that and i know that was the director's intent based on like general interviews and like comments that i've seen that he has made Mm -hmm. but i i definitely got like a lot of vibes that maybe Jakob was questioning like their gender as well like their gender identity especially with as we'll go on the discovery of this imaginary Mm -hmm. uh samurai wolf character who he you know he, he finds himself so deeply intrigued with and so like interested and confused by like I, I so i definitely i i know that it's intended as just like a very mm-hmm. like a gay reading but i also kind of see it as like that trans reading and i and i do that in a lot of films given but i i went in with that <laughs> mindset like from the moment i saw the samurai character i was like oh that's what this is and and that was kind of like my mindset through the whole film we have said multiple times in this podcast because we are always accused of reaching and forcing queer readings on films that don't have that intent and blah, blah, blah. forcing it forcing it all the time yeah <laughs> it's literally called oh, never mind <laughs> <laughs> but but no but i mean yes but intent doesn't matter once it leaves the creator right like as a consumer of art your lived experiences you fill in the blanks especially with something as abstract as this film oh like i don't really i while yes that may have been his intent and he has gone on record to say that you could really apply anything you'd like to this as long as you like want to back it up somehow oh yeah i've got backup (laughs) well and and honestly i will fully confess i had never thought of it that way and then when you messaged that to us in the chat i was like oh fuck yes i can absolutely see it and it's one of the reasons that i fucking love doing this podcast because it's like i have my reading it is set not in stone like i'm flexible you know, I'm a little versed in my readings. And then somebody will come in and just absolutely blow it up. And I think that that is so fascinating, right? Because yeah. films are often not quite so didactic that we can just say, oh, yeah, it's black and white. Like, it's very much confirmed. But you're mm-hmm. right, Trace, especially in the case of films like this, yeah. we're just uh, opening right. up a can of worms. And given I am, like, working on a book about that, so, like, I, I <laughs> like, just admit... Got your... <laughs> <laughs> I admit that I'm like, I'm like, you know, I was looking for it a little bit. I was like, oh, that's that. But also mm-hmm. like, and this is a, this is a valid argument here. I'm going to put this out there. There's that scene where he's in the car with the woman mm-hmm. and he imagines yes. himself kissing her. And mm-hmm. that wasn't queer. However, if you're viewing it more as that character questioning their gender, it still could be viewed as not only a queer kiss, but also like recognition that they are attracted to women and still questioning their gender. Of course, you could also look at it as through a bisexual or pansexual yep. lens or something as well. But I just thought it was worth mentioning for my argument that that I thought of that when I saw that scene. I was like, interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I think either reading is totally valid. Like, it, it, you oh, sure. can 
you can you can make it work. <laughs> mm-hmm. I love that you showed up. You're like, I have the receipts. I will be making. <laughs> I had it. <laughs> yes, I didn't take notes, but I had internal notes, and that was one of them. Oh, nice. I'm jealous of you. Okay. <laughs> Uh, okay, so, yeah, we've been introduced to this police captain, Hovarth, and he doesn't, he seems like he tolerates Jakob, doesn't particularly care for him, but also is like, fine, whatever, just, you know, go off and do something. But he isn't very impressed that Jakob has not taken care of this wolf. And I did take particular note of the line, what happens if you stop feeding it? You think it just goes away and when you're reading this as like, oh, it's urges, it's mm-hmm. id, it's something that you've repressed that you haven't accepted about yourself, whether that's your orientation, your gender, uh, who you are in life. It's like, if you stop feeding it and trying to like hide it in the woods, that motherfucker is going to come back and bite you. And see, my, my brain just went towards the whole like, why do you need all this meat? But <laughs> you know. that's so funny (laughs) so we do also see that Jakob has a mysterious package that has been addressed to the lonely wolf waiting for him at the station so he checks that in the back of the car and he's driving home when he comes across a group of bikers and he Mm. clearly knows all these people they know him they're making fun of him he's making fuck eyes at this head biker like I wanna get down on your face or something but He's putting it aside because the female biker seems to be hitting on him a little bit. Yeah, she was. All of this is very telling in terms of the way that Jakob is received by other people in the film. We're setting up some dynamics. Obviously, these bikers will play a big role in the future. But also the fact that Jakob is very straight-laced, right? Like, he may want to fuck either of these two characters, but he also wants to make sure that we don't have a drunk driver situation. Yes. Well, but that's also a thing, though, growing up, like, queer in a small town, you know, you're going to do as much as you can to be invisible. And that's exactly what Jakob does for most of, well, I'm sorry, up until certain points in this film. Right. (laughs) That's an interesting view, because I also thought that, like, choosing to be the one of, like, two police officers Mm -hmm. was also sort of like a, you know what, like, you could view it as, like, oh, he grew up queer in this town and now he's like you know what i'm gonna like make sure that like the people like me are safer here like kind of mindset Mm. and even later on when he meets or thinks that he meets the the samurai he's like hey like uh you know i'm not trying to offend you but like if you're gonna like go out right you know you should be aware that people aren't gonna treat you well like here like this town is not okay with like people like you like and you know that could be almost him talking to himself but that that whole thing where he became a police officer and i'm not going to get into my opinion on police officers (laughs) but but i'm just saying from that small town german mindset of oh i want to change this place and make it safe for people like me i could see that making sense Mm -hmm. yeah it almost makes you and you'll probably hear me say this a couple of times throughout this recording i do wish that the film was a a little bit longer because there are times when i think i'd like to know a little bit more about how this town operates like even just give me a couple more minutes of him interacting with some other people like does he have another confidant Or is he really isolated on the force? Like, is it just him and this captain? How is he received by other people? Like, the old woman and her dog seems to be... Well, the dog is not fine with him. The old woman (laughs) is fine with him. 
And yeah, I think there are some points where the film just feels a little too small scale to really get a sense of mm. what is his actual life like before all of this happens. Because really, we're talking about a film that takes place over the course of what, maybe 12 hours? Um, yeah, actually, yeah. Oh, but no, you know what? Because it ends during the day again the next day. It's like 24 hours. It's like from morning to morning. Yeah. Yeah. I will say, though, I I don't know what the budget was. Obviously, we know this was a smaller film. Mm -hmm. But there isn't, and and to your point, like, it could be longer. There wasn't a lot shown. But there's nothing shown in the film, like, once that they don't go back to. Like, every character you meet and every set Mm -hmm. that you see, they, like, repeat. They come back to that space. They come back to the old woman's house. They come back to his house. You see his mom. Oh, yeah, even the soccer field. That's where the climax takes place. (laughs) All of it. Yeah, they they repeat those scenes. And I don't know if that was, uh, you know, purposeful as for, like, the artistic reasons. Because, yes or if you you know he was limited with his budget um but i did think it was a a good use of of the space either way so i Mm -hmm. i kind of could appreciate that looking at it from like outside of the the view of just the film and just like reality like as far as like how much money he had like and i i could see why they chose to do it that way too though well, especially yeah. when we get into the um, the uh, the model he has in his like, basement or attic, what one of them? Uh, uh, it was later. Like upstairs, I think. Right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but later, but yeah, I mean that really shows like how tiny this town is. Yeah, and that's actually where we're at now. So he makes his way home. He plays some cards with his grandma just to prove that he's a good boy, and then uh, he works a little bit. <laughs> Yes. And then he builds some of his miniatures. Yes, which is a direct replica of the town that you live in, which to me is just like, oh, my God, your mindset is so tiny that you can't even escape it when you're doing this pleasurable activity. You're still Mm -hmm. stuck in this fucking small town. Yeah, yeah, we've seen Beetlejuice. We know what's up. Exactly. I was I was thinking Beetlejuice, too. (laughs) Uh, Did you go? Did you grow up in a small town, Tan? Oh my gosh, I'm from Nowheresville, Indiana. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. <sighs> so, so I definitely get it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he seems to remember his package at this point. Maybe I'll say parcel. He remembers his <laughs> parcel at this point, And when he's about to open it, like the literal moment that he is about to crack that sucker open is when he gets the phone call. Yeah. And of course, we are trained to think of gender as only one of two distinctions. So we hear a voice on the phone. It sounds like a woman. I do love this is where the film starts to pick up a little bit more style and flourish where Kleinhardt trails the camera along the phone line and outside and it's like we're following this almost like a siren's call that mm. Jakob is being lured out to this derelict house which is where he eventually encounters this character who has yeah it's at the edge of the woods we see the wolf and then when he goes inside he sees this figure who is in the dress and this is a character played by Pitt Bukowski and this is the samurai it mirrors the opening shot of the film right it's the mm-hmm. samurai sitting in a vanity and now we see applying makeup lipstick mm-hmm. I think yeah, and I think that you just then skipped over, like, not that you skimmed over them, but I think that just then you covered some of the most important and also kind of, like, 
questionable scenes of the film, like that spot where he's going to open the package and then he gets the phone call mm-hmm. and like there's like sparks on the line outside. It's like something yep. he's hearing noises and stuff. I think that at that point in the film, you, you either kind of have to decide that either something magical is happening, like yes. this is magic, this is a transformative wolf, there's a magic, you know, this 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 samurai it has powers and special abilities, or we are now entering a different space, which is not the real life that we've been seeing through the film so far, and now we're we're now entering this a this kind of you know the narrator is no longer mm-hmm. um, actually believable, and now we're in you know jacob's head and we're seeing this oh like he thinks he's on the phone he thinks all this stuff's happening and it, it none of it's even really happening so that's kind of right. i think a huge scene um and then you also said the scene where they first meet in that room mm-hmm. and that that one was pretty intense as well and so it's almost like alice falling into like I guess through the looking glass or into Wonderland or whatever is kind of like this. Like, I didn't even think about that. I, I, again, for me, I'm like, okay, like the movie starts, we're already in dreamland, but I mm-hmm. do like this, this idea that, yeah, once we get the phone call is when we really start going into this world of the surreal. Yeah. It's almost like when Marie is masturbating in high tension, right, Trace? <sighs> you, I think you brought up high tension, Trace. I, I did. Bring up <laughs> do you like high tension, Ted? <laughs> So honestly, like you're spoiling it a little bit for me because I haven't seen it. Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. But, Sorry. But it's okay. No, no, it's fine. I don't mind a little bit of spoilers here and there. And 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 honestly, with the the glowing review that Trace gave it, I will have to. There watch you go. It you're gonna I love know, it. <laughs> I know that we don't agree on a lot of films, so I'm definitely gonna check it out. <laughs> no, a, a, a lot of people really like it, and I will not argue. I think it's impeccably made. I just hate it. Right. That's fair. <laughs> Okay, so we do get this first interaction, and Jakob is very trepidatious, but as you suggested, Ten, also cautious and supportive of this samurai, saying, you know, if you were thinking of going out to this party because you seem to be getting dressed up, it's not going to be safe for you, maybe don't do that. Also, I think I got this package, which is yours, so he passes it over, and... Yes, the samurai pulls out a giant sword. This is when Jakob is also like, oh, if this isn't your house, you're trespassing. His rule-abiding nature takes over. And initially he says that he's going to have to arrest them. But then when the sword comes out, it's like, okay, all bets are off. He kind of hightails it out of there a little bit. And it's important that we heard earlier that he has never shot his gun in the line of fire before. So not only does he... Is he not prepared to do that? I don't think he even has the gun loaded because we'll see him go back to the office and load it near he the climax. He doesn't carry it with him at all. I think right. he said he keeps it at the station because it's such a small town, you know, European, like this, this world that we're living in. It's so different than what I'm used to. Where I was like, <laughs> oh, the cop, he's got a gun. He's got a gun. It's fine. But he doesn't at all. It's like, it's, so he's pretty much unprotected from this samurai or the wolf as and- I refer to them. And this may be a, a basic reading on my part, but since we are potentially dealing with, you know, a story about a character who's, like, you know, questioning their gender, are we reading any phallic imagery into the use of a katana? You know, I didn't, but I, yeah, okay. <laughs> oh my god, yay! That was a good one. I think, if nothing else, it anticipates that really big scene at the end of the film when we uh... basically have penis sword and erect penis. But uh... I like the idea that 
yeah, if we're looking at this through a gender lens, it's very much, well, we're already playing with conventions, right? Like, we have an actor who looks conventionally masculine, who is costumed in an almost androgynous sense like i i know the first time i watched this when i saw that opening scene i wasn't sure what i was seeing and i i love the idea that your mind desperately wants to try to figure out and we're looking for cues and if you think of okay well i'm on the hunt for phalluses in horror films then yes it's very much like who is what and how do we read what symbols they're holding up well and i mean yeah we're turning again if we're going on a gender questioning thing like turning the the, the piece of genitalia piece of genitalia sure um th- that that Jacob is questioning and turning it into a weapon to take down like the naysayers or people that oppose him mm-hmm. i really like this idea of kind of like finally uh taking the power of that sword at the end uh, of the movie which we know happens um, especially from, uh, this is a little bit deeper, but, uh, like through that trans lens again, we're kind of looking at something where this character is questioning their gender and they're confused by their body. And then maybe at the end, they're recognizing like, Hey, I can still have this mm-hmm. phallic object and still be this feminine person that I want to be or that I feel inside. And mm. I think the general acceptance of your body is a huge part of, uh, of a trans journey for a lot of people. Mm. Right. And I think it's especially important. And this is a heavy conversation, but I think it's especially important when we look at trans identity as being automatically tied to sexual organs when in reality a lot of trans people don't go off and change those things and do those things and they they find comfort in what they what they have and they're okay with that Mm -hmm. and i think that like you could look at this character of like being scared like you know that's their dysphoria they're scared of that that sword the whole movie they're scared of it and it's doing all these dangerous things and it doesn't make them feel good and then in the end they they take power in it Mm -hmm. and in themselves and they decide that it's okay and and that could be you know a huge piece of of accepting uh you know their own body as as a trans character possibly i mean it's just a thought but hearing the idea of the sword being phallic kind of put that in my mind trace so i really like that reading and i think that totally makes sense because there is a level of attraction that Jakob feels to the samurai and i'm specifically thinking of the scene where he's kind of trailing behind them down the street as they're talking about who and what they thought he was going to be like and i think you could further impose upon that some kind of reading that is to say i'm not just attracted by what you offer but the kinds of like the opportunities to break free of conventions and who i think i need to be and whether that places itself onto things like specific genitalia or whether that's just embracing your your self-identity as you were saying 10 like it really has nothing to do with how you appear or present on the outside it's about who you self-identify as on the inside that matters absolutely i like that a lot so we get a bit of a chase scene so Jakob did not feel comfortable in the room with a character he doesn't know with a katana but um once he sees that this person is out and about he feels his due diligence is to protect and hand so he 
pursues this samurai across uh, train tracks into the woods. I love the way that the sequence is shot where the samurai is kind of darting in and out of our visual Mm -hmm. spectrum. And it seems to be happening impossibly fast. Like this character is in places they shouldn't be able to get to that quickly. This is when that dream logic comes in, right? Or if you're watching it literally like, oh, he's a samurai. So he's able to move faster than whatever light. They damn it. (laughs) <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you nearly got there. And uh quick quick shout out to Pitt Bukowski for the physicality of this performance because not only are they frequently owling on every, you know, surface that they can find to perch on, but there's a lot of like almost acrobatic level, like trampoline kind of style movements that I think makes this character really evocative and exciting to watch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like the Pitt Bukowski's performance a lot. And I actually read people saying that, oh, the performances weren't all that. And I was kind of surprised because, huh. yeah, I read that online okay. from a few people. <laughs> and I, I was very surprised um, that, once again, that was the Tribeca Rotten Tomato reviews. Um, <laughs> the only ones that I found. I didn't look on Letterboxd, though, so that's fair. But yeah, I saw people like kind of saying that the performances weren't great. And let me just say, uh, assuming that Pit Bukowski is a cis man, then it's not ideal for that actor to be playing what is possibly a trans character. Mm-hmm. But stepping back from that, I can also recognize Pit Bukowski's uh, acting uh, was really intriguing to me, and I really mm-hmm. like the way. And this could be this could be a little bit of the director's viewpoint as well. We, we see that character shrouded a lot and even when they're in yes. direct light they're covered by their hair you yep. never you don't see their face a lot uh, there, there's a lot of like times where they're like hidden and i found that really uh interesting just like you don't really they're mysterious in a way oh absolutely yeah the the use of hairography throughout this entire movie <laughs> is fantastic and yes i'm making a dumb joke but also no, i <laughs> I did agree with you because I have it later in my notes. Uh, I love the way that the scene as they're walking down the street is juxtaposed in terms of lighting with the scene that they're imagining where they meet in the club where it's like one is like they're practically in spotlight. Whereas when they're walking on the street, it's like you're seeing half of their faces like very Yanis style. Ooh, I'm divided. Ooh, we're two halves of the same person and so on. Yeah. And this is such a complex film that like... I could, we could have an entire, you know, two hour conversation about what it means and what these characters mean and represent. And we could honestly probably have another two hour conversation just about how visually stunning this film is and how intriguing the shots are Mm -hmm. and how, like, uh, you know, and maybe even if there's a meaning behind the way they're shot, is there a deeper meaning or is it just to, to look interesting? And, and I, I really like that, uh, that part of this film. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. So Jakob eventually ends up back at the old woman's house. And this is where we get our first death of the movie. So sorry, dog lovers, the dog does <laughs> die in this movie. Um, and we got a decapitated dog head. Yes, it is intense. Mm-hmm. It's the first of many, many decapitations we will get in this movie, which I'm not gonna lie, I kind of fucking love. I don't love the dead dog, but I do love that people are getting decapitated left and right. I, I don't love the dead dog, but I love the reveal of the dog's head on the fence mm. post. Um, the way like the blood oh, just the blood. pours down. Yeah, it's really, really like gorgeous for being something so hideous. Yes, and again, if we're thinking about what you just said, Ten, the way that this is shot, right? So Jakob eventually 
finds this map of the town. And of course, it looks Ugh. exactly like his miniatures. And we see that the samurai has almost left a a directional pointer of, hey, this is where I'm going to go next in blood. And then all of a sudden it gets obscured as blood just starts gushing down over the rest of the sign. And then we get the pan. Sorry. And then we get the tilt up to the reveal that the dog's head is impaled. Great shot. The the red, the, 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 all the blood in this movie is so starkly contrasted against kind of the muted color palette of everything else in this film. Mm-hmm. Not only was that shot beautiful, but it's also pros- probably metaphorical in the sense that it's blood covering the town. Now it's not mm-hmm. just a path of blood, it's bathing uh... the whole town in that blood on that map. On the, on Get the ready, motherfuckers, there's there a reckoning go. coming. <laughs> yes, yes. I'd like to think that uh, that Kleiner was a fan of a lot of horror, and I could I could be totally wrong, but there's a lot of things in this film that reminded me of, of uh, you know, really iconic scenes. And it could just be because blood is inherently in horror flicks, but it, it definitely... I don't know. There was a lot of scenes that I was like, ah, this reminds me of like this particular, you know, style or this particular director. And and I really liked that about this film, too. Mm -hmm. I I really like it when I can see those nods that aren't, you know, entirely like, oh, yeah, that's what, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, this is an Ernest Klein book. But it was like, uh, you know, (laughs) one of those things where it was subtle. (laughs) I I think he actually is a horror fan, though. And this is actually a quote from the posture piece. But he says, a wolf isn't beautiful or frightening. It just is. We are the ones who assign all these attributions to them. And the same goes for societal conventions of gender expression. So I wanted to use the visual toolbox of cinematic expression offered by horror films to emphasize that notion of the outsider. That definitely feels like a fan right there. Yeah, I I found another article where he talked, he did say that he is inspired by a lot of different people. Like he actually says, oh, it's too many to list. And I was like, motherfucker, list them. We want to (laughs) know. A few, a few. Give us a couple. Well, he did specifically say that he he likes Steven Spielberg's early work because he loves the idea of like a small town that comes under threat from an invading force. And he said the same actually for Clive Barker. And I think even he maybe name drops a Magica to say like, oh, the supernatural just kind of organically infuses to create a sort of fantasy world, which... I really found that that was the case here. And when you highlighted, oh, the phone call and that shock on the phone line 10, I was like, yep, that's it. That's the moment that the supernatural elements descend on this otherwise normal town. One film he does name drop specifically for this film is uh, The Hitcher with Rutger Hauer and C. Thomas Howell. But I think that that's the kind of fairly obvious reading of it's like, oh, it's a a very straight-laced character who almost gets corrupted or uh, seduced into a different way of being. And of course, so many people think of The Hitcher as a very queer horror film. And when you say seduced and, you know, corrupted, that kind of brings me back to the very first thing I said when you Mm. when you asked my opinion on this film, which was like, I think that there's a lot of people who can watch this film and say, oh, that, you know, that character in the dress made this you know innocent police yeah, officer this poor, do all these this horrible poor boy. things <laughs> yeah you know and, and you know so like that's kind of why i was like ah, i think i would be reluctant to recommend this film to a general audience yeah well i think because the film isn't willing to give us any kind of answers or even reassurances it would be dangerous in that regard like i don't know i find a lot of trans horror films 
they often require a lot of unpacking. And if people don't have the terminology or the even willingness to go on that journey, um, they can often have very kind of straight lace and conservative regressive responses to them. I was even going to say, though, it, it, it almost demands that you know, like that, you, that you've done, like, so, like that you've educated yourself on some of these issues, because otherwise, every trans film is just going to be like an after school special PSA of like, well, this is what this is. And this is what this is. And we don't have time for that shit in the movie narrative. It's fucking boring, too. <laughs> yeah, I recently did a like a panel on Fright Gown, and I talked about essentially this, which was just like, I don't necessarily want to see, you know, trans killers anymore. And mm-hmm. so like, mm-hmm. seeing this movie that has that, but in a different right. way, yes. while it, you know, it was super intriguing to me, also feels like it, it, it's close to pushing that narrative. And that's why mm-hmm. and, and that's kind of the right. whole thing is it's just like, where do we where do we learn to accept it? Whereas something like Knife and Heart, everyone in that whole film is queer the whole time. Yes. And so, like, yes, you have these queer villains, but you also have all these queer, you know... Non-villains. Yeah, yeah, you know, people who you actually really don't... A lot of the characters are actually pretty horrible in that movie, but... Oh, my God, they're all <laughs> terrible. That's the best part about fucking it. But in this movie, great. you know, you don't have, like... I, like, I don't... Honestly, I don't really think I'm rooting for Jakob all that much. Maybe it's because he's a police officer. I don't know, but I'm just saying I, I don't go into it thinking, like, Jakob deserves better than this small town necessarily like i don't know like yes but also like what has he done good that makes him a better person than anyone else in the town like i don't know like he's so bland and it's nothing against the actor it's very much the way that his character is presented and written but it he almost feels to me like a cipher of every small town queer who you're just like you know what baby just hang on and find a way out of it, whether that means like finding who you are and staying in that town as he apparently wants to, or moving away from that small town and realizing who you are. But I see him as almost a blank slate. Mm. It doesn't make him particularly interesting, particularly when he's pitted against the samurai, who is so much more exciting to watch, though. But that's why it's the queer side. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. True. <laughs> you know, that, that, that does pose a question, uh, Joe, which is... You said, you know, he wants to stay in that small town, but did they actually kill everyone then? Because I don't think that he wants to stay there then if everyone's... I mean, he just killed everyone, like, in the he, movie, he, right? he wants to be <laughs> like, the town. He wants to be like, the town. Because <laughs> now, like, I mean, as far as we're aware, there's only, like, him and his, like, grandma now. Like, everyone else died in the movie. <laughs> like, so I'm well, like... I do but, think that there's more people that we don't see okay, because okay. if we take the, the fantasy of when they're in the bar... There's a reasonable number of people oh, in there, yeah, unless there we're is. meant to assume the they're all bikers. Scene. But he may also not even have his grandmother left, because whenever, after the samurai attacks her, like, she says to, to Jakob, like, get away, oh, yeah. you are not my grandson. Yeah. yeah, which plays into the idea that he was doing the murder. Yes. Oh, yes. Time, and that exactly. he was the one who scared her. He was the one dressed up you know, in different clothing or they, whatever, you you know what I mean? Or it's like, no grandma, you can't just say all queers look the same. That wasn't me. That was a completely different character. (laughs) Right. right. Oh, see, I even like that reading of it too. (laughs) Like some queer came in and attacked me. It was you. It was you. (laughs) You're not my grandson because you invited some queers into our home and I knew you were gay, but I didn't know you'd invite someone so violent. And now I hate you. (laughs) I knew you were gay, but I didn't know you were that gay. 
Yeah, Whoa, I thought you were a gay who makes miniatures in the attic. I didn't realize you were a gay with a katana. No, no, no. Or, like, I thought you were a lonely gay, like, who didn't have anyone, but I didn't realize that you were, like, an out gay who, like, is mm-hmm. also trans and does violence and does all these crazy things. Oh, now my I'm God. Scared. That's no. what it is. Grandma is fine with him as long as he doesn't want to have a nightlife. She's like, no. you can be the gay who stays at home and doesn't act gay. As long or, as it's not in front of her face. Right. Yeah, or just don't wear a dress and I'm cool with it. Like, there's, mm-hmm. like, a trans but not, like, homophobia there. There's, like, a transphobia layer mm-hmm. there. But I genuinely just think <laughs> it's because, um, is, it's because, like, that character didn't exist and that they set fire to their own house. And yeah, they were yeah, the one yeah, yeah. Scared her. For sure. Like, uh, that's definitely what I think that scene implies. Yeah. But I do love the fact that we just went on like a two minute diatribe, just absolutely shit talking this character. <laughs> like, <laughs> grandma, Yo, his grandma's suck. a big. Just kidding. <laughs> well, wait, wait, wait. So, so let, let's rewind though, because so, now, now we're kind of in this chasing. You know, we've got the decapitated. Oh dog, yes, yes. But then we go to the the self described baptism. Yes. Mm. Which I, I thought was such an interesting way of um, interesting word to use to describe what's happening here. Mm-hmm. And even the symbolism of, oh, I'm going to literally separate this bridge and we're going to stand on opposite sides of it and tussle. It's like, <laughs> okay, I see you visual metaphor come through. And then they jump over too to the other side. Like, I'm going to take this leap of uh, like to this other side. Like, mm-hmm. and that, that's kind of another... Yeah, know, maybe metaphor there. Well, because it's only the samurai that jumps in the water, right? Yakub doesn't follow them. Nope. Yes, yeah. But also, you know, what's that real or we don't, we don't know. Right, for sure. Because I mean, cause obviously the word baptism brings up a lot of religious connotations. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I view it as, um, okay, like if we're going with this, like, you know, the, the samurai, his, his queer side, their queer side is like, cool, baptism. If you jump in the water with me and go to this baptism, then you'll be, you'll, you'll be out. You'll be fully queer, mm-hmm. homo, trans, whatever you want to be. And he doesn't go in. Yeah. He's not ready to make the leap yet. Yeah. Not exactly. until the end of the film. Honestly, yeah. there's so many scenes like that through mm-hmm. the whole movie. They're the... The samurai is like, do this thing, like mm-hmm. kill me, do this, take this sword, dance shoot with me. me, like do this, dance with me. And the whole time, like, you know, they're hesitant. And even when they finally dance, they become uncomfortable being themselves in front of the sergeant because the, even yeah. though they were maybe learning to accept themselves, they still weren't comfortable accepting themselves in front of others. And like that baptism scene is just one of many scenes in that film where Jakob doesn't take the plunge. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're this to me is maybe the hardest transition in the film is we are just randomly in a car yeah. with <laughs> an unnamed woman who IMDb says is Kara, who is played by Kaja Blachnik. And her car breaks down on the side of the road. And then Jakob just randomly arrives and is like, I'll be a do-gooder. Yay. So he starts fixing her flat. Well, he's also he, he's also doing something that's inherently like considered masculine, right? Fixing a car. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's playing the hero, playing the savior. Mm-hmm. And then he thinks he sees the samurai in the woods, but it turns out it's just a deer. Like, okay, <laughs> you got you got somebody on the brain there, Jakob. But I do love that, right? Like he he's just rejected the, his fir- one one of the again as Ten said many attempts to like cross over into the other side, mm-hmm. and when he chooses not to, he has to be like, oh my god, no! What can I do to feel manly again? Yeah. Oh wow, I love that. Oh yeah, that's so real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then he's like, oh, I better you know fix this flat tire for this. <laughs> yeah. This stranded woman who is 
sexy and smokes weed in the car. I know, which he then doesn't get mad about. So we can already see that he's like loosening the morals even as like one in, one big significant encounter with the samurai and the morals have already been loosened. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's like his mind isn't there. He's thinking of other things. Right. Yeah. So she drives him back into town and she spends the whole time like she's she's actually just passing through. She's on her way into Poland, which is where this town borders. We also have a lot of shots of the dream catcher hanging on her rearview mirror. And I wasn't yeah. sure if that was like, I mean, I was like, that has to be purposeful for a reason. But the only thing I could come up with was like, well, if we're in a dream, like that's what this is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. I think it's probably that straightforward. That brings back that scene I mentioned earlier, too, where it, he like leans in and kisses yep. her, but then it doesn't actually happen oh and you know what he calls her the or she calls jacob the lonely wolf she does yeah because it fits yes which is what the name on the package was Mm -hmm. and i I will confess i actually missed the kiss on my first viewing so i'm really glad that i rewatched it today (laughs) oh wow yeah (laughs) because i caught it i was like wait (laughs) i don't remember that yeah. I'm interested that Ten, you inferred that this is Jakob's uh either dream or blip, however you want to talk about it, because that was my immediate first thought, but then I realized what if that's actually her desire? Like she picks up a handsome stranger and then she imagines having a sexual encounter with him. It maybe gets unwritten when the samurai uh, when we see her head in the fire later in this movie and the samurai says, well, it never would have worked out anyway. But I wondered because I, um, I don't know that we actually have clarity about it. I guess the reason I didn't assume that is just because I feel like we're seeing most of the story through Jakob's point of right. view or the samurai. There, I don't think there's really any scenes in the movie that don't have one of those two characters mm-hmm. in them except for mm-hmm. like showing like the sergeant not answering his phone or something but even that's right. just because Jakob's calling and, and and so i guess i didn't consider that they would switch uh narratives in that scene but i do hear what you're saying and that that is totally valid i think for me and, and maybe i'm going too surreal here but because you know like I don't even know if the scene in the car is actually happening or if this woman's even real. I actually viewed her as more of a remnant of maybe, like, the last time he tried to make something work with a woman um, hmm. and it didn't work or he couldn't he couldn't make himself feel anything for her. So I, oh, it, yeah. I, I, I'm only, like, coming to that, too, just because of how we do get her decapitated head later in the film and, you know, talks to him or whatever. But, right. like, it, I'm just like, I don't know who – we don't know who this woman is. So I, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't really know if this car ride actually ha- actually happens or if it's just him driving down the road imagining this. Yeah. I mean, and really you could say the same with anything. I mean, did right. he actually decapitate <laughs> all those people? Did he really punch the shit out of a little foam bird on someone's lawn? Like, that pink I mean, flamingo? Okay, no. Yeah. I-, I was literally like, oh, it's pink flamingo. So now we're just attacking queer culture here with John Waters. <laughs> uh, I, that's actually, yeah. I didn't even consider that. I just laughed at the fact that it was a oh. bird. It's hilarious. I just, yeah, in my mind, I was like, well, I mean, again, it could have been any lawn ornament, but pink flamingos are a common lawn ornament, especially in small towns. But I was just like, but when you say, if if you're queer and you say pink flamingo, like your mind immediately goes to the John Waters film. Yes, if you're you're a horror fan, I'll say. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So I was just like, okay, like, yeah, now we're just taking down like the queer regime as embodied by this one pink flamingo. (laughs) 
I like that scene. I don't think we're there yet, but but no. I like that scene uh, it, a lot. It's actually we're nearly there. Yeah, because she drops him off, and this is when he has that walk down the street, and we just see that it's kind of carnage, like debris oh. everywhere. I really, really like this shot in terms of a pretty ugliness. Like it, yeah. it's not a pretty looking town anymore, but the garbage and the debris, and even the shot of um the sliced clothes on the clothesline, I thought was just really beautifully evocative he gets a lot of mileage out of these uh these these street shots as well and we'll have one later where he like it's like jacob running down the street but it's in the diorama in his room in his attic or his upstairs room it's really good yeah so then we're up to the samurai being like okay well i will go if you want me to but i just need you to beat the shit out of that pink flamingo (laughs) yeah they're like (laughs) That's another one of those ones. You know, he does kind of take the leap a little bit on this one because Mm -hmm, he ends up letting his aggression. And you can tell that he's holding it back because he like punches it a little. And then he like beats the shit out of this like flamingo. And then honestly, you know what it was? He only let it out a little because then after that is that when he puts the samurai in handcuffs? Yes. So like he was comfortable with breaking the rules but then decided, never mind, actually, nope, I got to lock that away. Like, mm-hmm. actually, I let it out a little, but I can't. It, it goes back to him leaving meat bags for the wolf in the beginning, right? He's feeding it enough to, like, satiate it, but not let it get out. And so as soon yeah. as he gives it enough to satisfy it a little bit, then, yeah, out come the handcuffs. Right. Yeah. And in between that is the scene that I've mentioned several times already, which is just where they're walking down the street. And, uh, yeah, we get that hypothetical date that they might have had if they had both gone out to the party that night. And I thought it was interesting that there's something very romantic and sensual about the way that they're looking at each other. But the people around them, they're literally encased in a circle of people who are just standing there like a teen film where you know the couple gets their moment in the spotlight and they get the dance but all of these people at the club are laughing at them and heckling them and i actually view this as a very interesting inversion on the queer safe space right because so many of uh, uh, the queer safe space for so many people is the gay bar or the queer bar right Mm -hmm. and this is something where it's like okay like he's at this club or party or whatever it's certainly lit like a club but it's a club but they call it a party yeah okay but it's like the small town quote-unquote club (laughs) but yeah but no and he again however you want to view this scene but like he his burgeoning queerness comes out in this scene because it's kind of taking what we know as queer people uh, sorry what as queer people we know for a, a club to be a safe space but then it takes it away because this isn't a queer club this isn't a queer bar and he can't do it I kind of feel like it makes sense at this time. I I didn't unpack this really while viewing, but just this discussion kind of made me think of this. He has just let out this aggression and this inner himself on this pink flamingo. (laughs) And now he's like, yeah, you know what? It, It is okay. And this person is okay. And then immediately he flashes to... Oh, but everyone else won't be okay with this. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't be myself in front. Like, if I go out and I'm the real me, like, people won't like me. They'll laugh at me and they'll be, you know, and that's when he switches back and he's like, right. nope, I got to handcuff you. Like, this isn't okay. And so, like, I feel like maybe that was a, you know, I guess dream within a dream, but just him kind of having that moment of, oh, you know what? I can't actually be myself. Yeah, one thing that did interest me, though, is before we get the handcuffs slapped on, they do have this kind of wrestling match, and it ends when the samurai ends up getting Jakob in a bit of a chokehold, and I mean, as always, we get accused of breaching all the time, but (laughs) to me, this was kind of like, 
oh, we're, we're doing a little bit of foreplay here, right? And mm. then we slap the handcuffs on at the end. And it's like, in some ways, it's the end of a sexual encounter and the start of a more puritanical kind of oh, police procedural. Okay, we've got the situation back under control. But I like yeah. the the tension between a pseudo sex scene and then uh, a reinstating of the normal. So this is when he calls the police chief who is yes, getting a massage. And then yeah, he's like, I hear there's a transvestite terrorizing the streets. Mm-hmm. I think that was a later call because I wait, is this the one where Sorry, no, strike he that. does it, answer? It, it's not the this is the one where he does get the the police chief. There was an earlier okay. one where he is getting the okay. massage. This is just mm. a regular one. But yeah, I love the association that it's like, I'm getting reports of a transvestite wreaking havoc. Is it you? Because you're a you're a queer person. You're it's the like, gay the person. Fuck? Yeah. <laughs> That's that's not what I associate it with, is you're the person doing all this. Because all queer people are the same. <laughs> and then he says, like, oh, you don't believe me? And then there's no one on the other line. And I, I, this whole sequence really is just kind of proving that, like, oh, he's afraid of what everyone else is going to think. Or they're yeah. afraid of what... I, the more I get into this reading, the more I want to refer to Jakob as not he, because I f- I'm, like, really feeling like... That, that that like trans reading is very fitting for me watching this film so that makes me almost want to like hesitate to refer to them as that just because if that is true then they're having this awakening and i, and I don't want to mm-hmm. misgender this character so that but it's fine but i'm just pointing that no, out yeah. that's something i thought of just now mm-hmm. you're welcome to refer to Jakob as they them if you'd rather for the rest of the episode i'm gonna try that i i'm just kind of recognizing that like if if the samurai really is Jakob then like that really is how they feel inside and like especially looking at it from like this scene that we're talking about it's like they're afraid of what everyone else is gonna think and then they get this uh, possibly imaginary call and it's or it's real and it's it's proving their fears of Mm -hmm. oh but like now everyone's you know the problem is me oh no like I can't be myself no one will understand this and and then of course and Jakob does something though. Whenever the chief asks him that, like he does this thing where he look he looks over his shoulders really fast. To obviously, be like, oh, like do you see me? But also that kind of thing where it's like, oh my god, who can see me? Who can see me out exposed like this? Right. Yes. Yes. Constantly looking. Oh, what did I do that tipped somebody off that I might be a little bit different? Did I hold myself the wrong way? Did I use the wrong word? And uh, you know, I will say, looking at it from the viewpoint of them being the same person. You either have to question the dialogue between them and other characters, or mm-hmm. you have to question, I guess, the time that's passed. Because does Jakob actually change clothes? Because like the scene like later on, I'll wait. I'll wait on that. Okay. <laughs> but there's a scene later on where I'm questioning, like, oh, like this person doesn't recognize that Jakob was just that same person who did that violent thing a moment mm-hmm. ago. Well, it changed. Th- th- that's where the logic gets kind of murky. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that's often when the film starts to maybe make less sense if you want to directly correlate them as a one to one. And I unfortunately also think that often films become less interesting when you're just trying to force like, a, oh, well, how would this have worked? Who are you yeah. actually speaking to? And so on. It's like, no, lose, lose that stick with the emotionality of it. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, Dario Argento, at the end of the day, is my favorite director. And if you watch a film of Dario's... Oh, my God. That makes like, no sense at all. <laughs> and you're like, oh, that doesn't make sense. Then nope. you should just turn off the movie because it they literally will never make sense. I yeah. definitely just figured us out, Ted. Because, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know if you know this, but the first time I saw Suspiria, I fucking hated it. Because huh. I was I was just like, what? Like, what kind <laughs> what? of dance academy so keeps funny. a room full of barbed wire? It makes no sense. <laughs> That doesn't make any sense at all. No, I, uh, that's actually my favorite movie of all time, so that's hilarious. <laughs> hey, you know what? Look, look, I, I have seen it three more times since. I like it a little bit more each time, and I mm-hmm. own the goddamn thing on Blu-ray. So, okay. like, cool. it is not for lack of trying. I don't love it, but, like, again, th- I get that, it. Th- that's my barrier, but, like, yeah, the, 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 the surreal in me just don't always mesh very well. This is that true. Makes sense. We have made so much progress on you in the last couple of years, though, Chase. Like, you, <laughs> oh, baby, you have come so far. <laughs> video drum is next, Joe. Oh my God! Don't oh, wait you, with me. You, you he hates video drum. Uh, no, I don't like. Oh. It. I've, but I've only seen it once. But I really did not like it the first time I saw it. <laughs> so what we'll do is we'll break you in easy. We'll show you existence, and then we'll work backwards to. Video well, I've drum. seen existence. I like existence. It's the same movie. Oh god, come on. <laughs> Honestly, I like Videodrome, but I just hate James Woods as a person. Oh, oh, he's yeah. so such a he's vile, a... vile yeah. person. And uh I'm not saying we have beef, but uh he definitely did tweet about me specifically, and so what? we have beef. That's all I'm gonna say. That's all I'm gonna oh, say. God. You're internet famous with a terrible, terrible human piece of garbage. <laughs> no, you know yeah. what? That's like when Isaiah Washington came after me for shitting on him being the only new interview on, on Screen Factory's ghost shit Blu-ray. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, see, I, I, don't have, I didn't know that. I don't have beef with any celebrities because I'm the nice one on the podcast. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> hey listen, James Woods deserves any beef that he gets. He's, 100%. he's the problem. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Director hate to him for sure. Great film, though. Okay, so, yes, yeah, so we, we get some kind of extended conversation here between Jakob and the samurai, now that the samurai is safely locked up to this fence, and um, I do like that Jakob at one point is kind of like, well, who are you? Did you maybe come from an institution? What do you want? And the samurai is just like, how about I turn everything around to you and I ask you why you feed the wolf and why you delivered a sword to me in the middle of the night. And it's, it's just such a lovely kind of tet at tet and it makes you realize, Oh, we don't actually know anything about the samurai and probably won't learn anything about the samurai. Well, and then we get, yeah, because then he starts beating him up. I'm sorry. Jakob starts beating up the, the samurai and... after he makes sexual innuendos. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. That, which oh, is yeah. of course a literalization of the internal struggle that Jacob, Internal homophobia to the point where he has to go back into the fucking woods to take a moment. It's like, stop, stop pretending like the woods is your goddamn safe space I, and just like deal with your shit. Jakob. I'm curious. Did anyone, uh, did you, anyone come across any like fight club comparisons in this movie? I did. I, I saw a couple. Oh, really? I didn't think of that. But now that you say that, like the, yeah, I, I guess I don't want to spoil fight club for anyone, but it is, <laughs> kind of, kind of, it is kind of an older film, but, uh, but yeah, no, now that you say that I could totally see it. And actually I really liked the scene where they're beating each other up. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, like I, I don't know if that's just a kink thing, but it was really like intense, and I really thought it, it was like yeah. the blood like comes out of their like the samurai's mouth, mm-hmm. but then they look up and their lips are like super red, like a bright lipstick almost, and yeah. look in the face, and they they just look like they liked getting hit. They're like, yes, mm-hmm. let it 
it out on me. Show me what you got kind of thing. And I was like, wow, this is like hot kind of okay. Like, <laughs> yeah. And it foreshadows later when the samurai will actually paint Jakob's face with blood. Almost oh, like yeah. I am now applying oh, yeah. lipstick and makeup oh, to yeah. your bloody face. The samurai loves to get beat up and wants to get killed several times. The samurai is like, shoot me then. Haha. <laughs> like the whole time. And mm-hmm. like Jakob, of course, does it. Uh, a little bit of queer fatalism in that, isn't there? Yeah, I could see that. So when he, when Jakob tries to come back, he has processed his feelings in the woods. He comes <laughs> back out, and we see that the samurai has actually cut off their own finger to escape from <laughs> the handcuffs, and they are now gone because they have gone to Grandma's house in the most literal <laughs> version or interpretation of the Red Riding fable I- here. I am shocked it was not the samurai under that damn blanket whenever Jakob gets there. I 100% thought it was going to be. I thought yes. that grandma I, is I dead. I did. I did. I did. <laughs> Maybe it I was literally was like, oh, the grandma died. I was like, what did she do? I like that she was kind of like, I don't know. I mean, I'd seen I was just sort of like quirky and old. Like, I was like, oh. Mm-hmm. T- Tan, have you seen Freeway with Reese Witherspoon and Kiefer Sutherland? Oh, my God. Oh, no, Mike, I haven't, actually. Oh, okay. Well, I'm, I'm going to cut this out because it's, 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 it's a previous episode, but it's a, it's a, it is a modern, well, modern, it's 1995 exploitation film that is yes. a direct modern. adaptation of Little Red Riding Hood. Oh, okay. I think you two would actually both, like, come together on this one. Oh, it's oh. It, it, it's a five star film if there ever was one, but it's like Reese Witherspoon's mom is like t- taken away for being a prostitute, a sex worker, and basically Keeper Sutherland picks her up, and his name is Bob Wolverton because uh, she's going to her grandma's house to like to avoid the foster care system. But he's mm-hmm. actually like a sexual, uh, a serial killer and rapist yeah. who goes after her. But yeah, there's a whole thing at the end where he like pretends to be grandma, and it's like it, oh. it is a very offensive. Um, oh my god, Reese Witherspoon says a lot of um. Uh, Non PC things. Not PC things. <laughs> Are we talking like slur she says the N word? Yeah. yeah oh like, wait, Reese Witherspoon. Oh wow. yeah. So th- this Jack is like, Nicholson on us. Okay. This is like I mean, it's a gay director. Amazing cast. Like the cast is like Brooke Shields is in it. Uh, it oh yeah, it's absolutely stacked. But but yeah, uh, if you can find it streaming for free, it's probably on Prime, honestly. But like, I would recommend watching it as long as you're just be aware that yeah, it, it, there's a lot of um, racial slurs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah Brittany, totally. Brittany Murphy's in it, uh-huh. um, and, and oh, the, okay, it's good. It's really good. It, I, anyway, it's, sorry, it's very like John Watersy in that regard. Mm-hmm. Maybe a bit I'm more interested. <laughs> so good. But anyway, sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. We were saying that we thought that that um, that the samurai was going to be grandma, and then yes. we were like, oh wow. And I, I didn't want her to die. So I was like kind of glad that she didn't die. But then when she freaked out, I was like, ah, maybe it would have been better. Oh, dead. grandma. <laughs> was there any significance to the card game? I keeps telling her to draw two, draw two, draw two, and then take the, all the cards. Like, I, Or was that just like, oh, like, okay, that's a fun little way, way to torture her. I didn't think of anything in particular. I just thought it was, yeah, I kind of just thought it was like a creepy thing where like, it, it was just like started innocent and the grandma was like really interested. And then it just kind of became like, okay, this is kind of mean now. Like, you know, that she's just trying to play along like, but I don't know. Yeah. Cause they're, they're basically playing some kind of equivalency to go fish. And I guess you could look at it as there's a certain amount of repetition where you're like, he's not just trying to teach her to do it, but also she has to keep, playing the same kind of hand and if you think about it that's what Jakob has been doing this whole time in the film right like he keeps playing the same hand not learning the rules of this card game which is like Mm -hmm. what 
the samurai is trying to break him free of. Like, you need to learn the rules so that you can break them and break out of it. Yeah, I guess you could look at it as, like, the monotony of life or something if you want to get that deep into it. Or the monotony of, like, doing the same things over and over and Mm -hmm. living in that conservative life, that small-town life. Just draw that, do that, do that, the same Mm -hmm. thing over and over again. And then, of course, the samurai says, I'm not doing this anymore, and ends it, basically. Well, it's important, too, that we every time we see the card game, it's always paired with shots of this miniature replica of the town, right? Which is like, oh, you are literally trapped in this maze. You're repeating the same actions. You're not breaking free of the same space. And that's why the samurai burns it all down. Mm-hmm. Yep. Set your fucking town ablaze. Uh, so now we get to the scene where if folks have been struggling with this film and finding like, oh, it's just not quite exciting enough. It's a little too much walking and talking. <laughs> Well, guess what, motherfuckers? We've got some action headed your way, because in the town square, bikers surround the samurai, and Jakob arrives in time to warn them that the samurai is dangerous. They are not at all worried about somebody holding a giant fucking katana. Because they're wearing a dress. Uh, maybe. Ah, yeah. yes, yes, yes. A, a, a man wearing a dress could not possibly pose any threat to us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Jakob ends up getting tackled and his head gets smashed into the ground by the hot bully from earlier. And another gorgeous shot by Kleiner. We see in upside down perspective, the samurai just decapitates this entire group of bikers. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a pretty sweet scene when that all happens. And, and you know, right before that, um, there's that bit where like, Jakob's trying to protect the samurai but also the people it's really mm-hmm. strange because they they show up and they see the samurai and they like surround them and they're yes. like oh we're gonna we're gonna beat the shit out of you and then Jakob's like hey don't don't deal with this don't mess with them they're dangerous and then of course the biker gang instead of being like you know you know okay they're just basically like oh we're gonna handle this cop like we're gonna do this just because you're gay like you can't stop us from beating up this Mm -hmm. person like we're gonna do whatever we want anyway because that's what we do to like people that are different than us kind of a thing yeah and i guess if we're looking at this movie through the lens of them being the same person that entire interaction was probably not actually happening but or maybe it has something similar had happened in the past and that's kind of like you know right uh, their way of reacting to it but I really like thought that scene was interesting because, you know, yeah, that that sort of small town like, oh, don't worry, cop, we'll take care of this. Like we will take care of this person. You don't need to because we like don't like, you know, queer people. So we're going to. Well, and it's such a dramatic escalation from the previous scene where Mm -hmm. we had seen Jakob interacting with the bikers, but they clearly don't respect him, but they're not going to be physically aggressive to him. They're just going to mock him. And here it's like they actually physically incapacitate him and then attack or try to attack somebody who looks different. And I think it, to me, it communicates that the town only has so much tolerance. So if you are a masculine presenting fresh face ingenue of the police force, then yes, we will tolerate you. But if you are a man in a dress, then we will full on fucking attack you. But I even think the samurai's actions, I mean, obviously escalate as the film goes on. Because while we mm-hmm. I mean, we know we killed the dog earlier, but this is the first, like, oh my god, like, mass murder uh, that we're experiencing here. Yeah. But you could even, ooh, this might be a dangerous road to walk down, but if we want to 
compare or link the acts of violence the samurai commits to, let's say, burgeoning queerness, as Jakob gets more comfortable with, with his, be it sexuality or gender, however you're watching it, the violence gets more escalated, I guess. Like well, that. but I think it's against people that have tried to hurt him or keep him down the most. Like, Grandma is supportive of Jakob, so Grandma gets to live. This bully... Yeah, Jakob has feelings for him potentially, but also he has been dickish to him. So he ends up getting beheaded as soon as Jakob wakes up. Yeah, he sure does. <laughs> but then arguably the worst fate is the one that awaits Captain Horvath mm. at the football field. And I, I wonder if part of it is an escalation like the samurai is determined to break Jakob free of these confines by getting rid of, you know, it's a... It's what you do in films, right? Like you escalate to the big bad so that the hardest one to kill or the biggest, most significant death happens last. But it definitely feels like, oh, we're escalating not just the violence, but also the people that fucking suck. Well, I mean, that brings us then, I mean, we, we've mentioned the, the captain's fate, but we also have this dance scene with, of course, the aforementioned um, painting of the face with blood scene. Yeah. And and of course, Caro's head is in the fire. Like, we've got all of these decapitated bodies sitting and watching like mm -hmm. it's a performance piece on So You Think You Can Dance. It's it's like the party from earlier, but they can't laugh this time. A yes. Oh my god, Ten. Yes. <laughs> Which, because I, 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 even in the party, I was getting very Carrie vibes in the party scene, you know, they're all gonna laugh at you, like type thing. Mm-hmm. So I think, I mean, and I also view Carrie as a queer text, so I mean, oh, that brings it for me. But yeah. Trans. Um, go ahead. <laughs> what? I said trans text. I was just, I, I, oh. I, I think that, but we'll not go there right now. Okay. A conversation for another day, perhaps. Making that note. Now. Yeah. We'll just uh, put that in the books for later. <laughs> um, yeah. I am fascinated the sheer discomfort that I felt watching these two, I, I liked it when they become intimate for a more slow dance. I was yeah. really uncomfortable when it's more contemporary modern dance because it it's like watching a child or like a baby deer learning how to walk. Like they just look so, well, I mean, the samurai looks fine. The samurai always looks fine, but Jakob is like, not really sure how to move my body. Yeah, because they're not comfortable in their body. Exactly. But I uh, I really like this scene. And this is kind of what I mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. where like this is, I think, one of a few scenes in the movie where we don't see what happened before Jakob is suddenly present. Mm -hmm. We know the samurai was there and set up the bodies and tied up the... Yes. Um, you know, tied up the police chief. What was the, that character's name? Horvath. Oh, Horvath. Thank you. Um, yeah, so Horvath was, like, tied up or whatever. And then, you know, ja Jakob, like, unties Horvath's mouth. And then they speak. And Horvath's like, what is that thing? What's happening? you got to mm -hmm. let me free. So at this point, assuming that this conversation is actually happening... Horvath doesn't recognize that the samurai is potentially Jakob. Yeah. And, and that's true from here on out because we're nearing the end of the movie. And at this point, it's really questionable mm -hmm. how much, even if anything we're seeing is reality. But the idea that, that, um, Jakob would just be dancing alone in front of the sergeant with no one else around with all the dead bodies in front of the fire is mm -hmm. kind of wild to think about. Yes. I, I, I would have loved to see this 
film cut where we could occasionally get glimpses of reality, maybe. That would have been really intriguing uh, or interesting view as well. And this was very much the scene where I was like, okay, it, what is real, what is not? Because, yeah, you constantly see Horbath like, looking at the samurai mm-hmm. and then looking at Jakob. And then that, but that's where, again, you just got to... Go with that dream logic. Yeah, that's where it's like, what's really, really happening? Yeah. And this and and this is again, it feels like this would be the climax of the film. Yeah, it really does. But you still have that moment where Jakob is like, I'm not comfortable being mm-hmm. myself in front of people who don't understand me or Horvath. And that that makes Jakob end up even though it kind of feels like it's resolved and it kind of feels like oh we made the right things you know you know Jakob refuses to let go of their relationship with Horvath and then in the end the police you know come up and that's kind of like Jakob's like oh well I better go back to what I really am and that's a good person and Mm -hmm. I can't actually do anything bad or violent you know or or be myself or be trans or anything Mm -hmm. uh very very interesting scene that I, I genuinely thought was going to be the end of the film. Yeah, I was super worried also that we were going to get a almost like suicide by cop situation where he would be revealed. Oh, no, you've been masterminding this whole affair. The police arrive on the scene. They see you with this katana, all of these bodies, and then you just get shot to death like that's actually where i thought the film was going to end and i would have been fucking pissed and i I actually even linking to like what you're saying about suicide like i was even thinking oh like what if he kills the the samurai and but like by by doing that unknowingly kills themselves because of course that's what a lot of samurais did when they were dishonored right i was expecting like the police to roll up and it just to be Jakob standing there and then like Jakob be like don't worry i have this under control and they and then look back down and there would be nobody there and like not to spoil even more of high tension for you that's pretty much what happens in high tension (laughs) yeah that makes sense that makes sense yeah uh, so thankfully, that is not where this movie ends. It is dawn, and we we see that the wolf is still prowling on the edges of the woods. So we know that the threat has not been isolated. Uh, there's there's still something that Jakob has to deal with. So they pack them away into cars. The samurai is in the first car. Jakob is in the second car. I'm curious to hear from the two of you. Did you get a kind of flirty vibe from the driver of Jakob's car? Because there's, there's a line where he says, he asks about his injury and whether he's okay, but then he also says, oh, it must have been so hard for you to go through it alone. I just thought, yeah. oh, maybe Jakob hasn't been alone this whole time. That was interesting. I honestly didn't think about it, So, I, but now you're putting it in my head. I mean, it was mostly just I, I thought the police officer was cute and i was like maybe the two of you could wash <laughs> your faces together yeah that would have been that would have been that would have definitely changed the movie <laughs> but, but uh no i i didn't think of that but i did i did notice like that the, the other cop was like it's crazy that you went through all of this alone like that must have been you know super wild or whatever mm-hmm. uh, and honestly i i admit that this portion of the film is very foggy in the sense of like what it really happens. Yeah. I mean, yeah. a wolf runs in front of the car. And then attacks and then, the driver when he gets out and seemingly mauls him to death. Yeah, and then... The samurai the escapes. samurai escapes, and then Jakob steals the other police car. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we're really looking at this through the lens of Jakob being the only one, 
then really Jakob was actually locked up in the car and somehow escaped or, or something. I don't know. Like, there's got to be some level of magic there, I guess. I think trying to explain it in any kind of logical sense is a fool's errand. And that I'm the one saying this is mind-boggling to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, and, and honestly, like, it, and it, yeah, we, we, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I'm more interested in, in how we, not the how do we get there, but what right. we get when we I get agree. there. So, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. And of course, if folks have been struggling with figuring out how the wolf fits into all of this, it's made very evident as Jakob is driving the car. We see that he's tracking the samurai who is now naked. And we also see that it's the exact same path that the wolf was following when Mm -hmm. it was running alongside the car so it's like the samurai and the wolf are one and the same and then that's where your triad potentially comes from so the samurai naked runs up to the sack of meat that we saw at the very beginning of the film begins feasting on it just raw flesh it's so gross i'm not like one to be like do we need the nudity here but what but not even just the 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 full frontal shot of, of the samurai's penis but also that it's erect I, yes it becomes erect as Jakob uh, like walks over yeah mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. huge scene mm-hmm. huge scene because this is literally i mean if i want to make a joke it's a big dick contest because Jakob has his katana and it's literally placed at groin level so it looks like a dick and then we've got the samurai who's saying hey your phallus is fake and mine is real mm. like we are one and the same here, but you also need to come over to my side. It's a really interesting scene. I think it's it's interesting that that Jakob knew exactly where to go. Jakob was mm-hmm. like, you know what? I'm going to go to the source of all this. And metaphorically, that was feeding the wolf instead yep. of taking care of the problem. So, you know, Jakob goes there and then it's kind of like, now it's time for me to stand up and defeat this thing. And yes. this is where... You can say either, you know, oh, this is where Jakob finally represses that thing and says, no, you know what? Mm -hmm. I'm going to end the violence and I'm going to end that trans thing. I'm just going to be me, a man. Or you could say, you know, Jakob's like overcoming, like, I'm not hiding that I'm queer anymore. I'm just going to be myself and like, I'm going to take care of things like the way that I want to. Or the final reading that I have, which was super helpful from Trace earlier, which is (laughs) the like... I'm okay with being me and, and being, you know, having this phallic thing or whatever, like being comfortable with my genitals and being attracted to the people the way that I am. And I'm going to embrace that. And I'm going to, you know, move forward being my true self. And like, obviously decapitates the imaginary samurai, which explodes into a giant Ugh. Fire of sparks and lightning, mm-hmm. or whatever, and just so like cool. it's so cool, it's but it's like a celebration, right? Like to me, yes. this looked like mist meets fireworks, and I could yeah. only think of it as a positive thing. Even though I worry, as you mentioned a couple of times, ten that you could read this in a very regressive way and say, "Oh, he killed the queerness or the transness," and then at the end, it's just like, "Yeah, I got my mojo back with my sword." But but I I think that's where the you're right. I think the easy way to read that, yes, is, oh, he is further repressing his queerness. Yeah. Um, 
so if you're just telling the plot, oh, like this happens and this happens and this happens, that's going to be kind of what you gather from it. Mm-hmm. But yes, you're right, Joe, and because of the visual representation of this yes. decapitation, which isn't gore and sinew like no. what we get with with with, with horror decapitation earlier. Yeah, it's stylized, smoky mist, red mist fireworks, and it's so gorgeous. The music is triumphant, also. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yes, huge. If it wasn't a queer creator, I would maybe mm. be more like, well, what mm-hmm. is it trying to say here? You know. Yeah, and then he's dancing with the katana and doing, like, moves in the woods, kind of showing that now Jakob is the samurai, and Jakob is that person who's going to control that sword and control their own life. And he looks happy and confident and and that's pretty much where we end the movie right like it cuts that, that is i think that's literally the end yeah just like Jakob kind of dancing but also uh, using it as a weapon like showing like that that style of like this is me and i'm this person now defeating the samurai wasn't killing that part right but rather finally taking that part and 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 holding it on your own Mm -hmm. it's not this internal samurai now it's you you are the samurai and you are that person because once you accept that as part of you you don't need it to exist outside of you yes right he's internalized it it's now who he is yep so okay we all kind of started this with like oh we don't know how we feel about this I Have like this feelings. movie so much more now. Well, I was like, so my my opinion has gone up post this discussion. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I think that there was even more brought up than I was expecting that that made me enjoy this film more than I did before. Ah, yay! Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's all for me. It's always weird because again, like, this is a movie I had I had not heard of. I didn't know anything oh, about never. this movie. So. I, I, I'm glad to have found something that I'm like, oh, good. Like that was a good find. Good job, Joe. Uh, yeah, this was a good one. This was an interesting film for sure. And I, I know we're not done at this moment, but thank you for uh, having me do this. I, I never even have heard of this movie. And this was a, a, this was genuinely a pleasure to talk about and to watch. Oh, fantastic. Well, I mean, thank you for coming on. <laughs> <laughs> it is always a relief, though. Like, I don't know about you two, but I, I mean, when I was coming of age and really starting to explore cinema and more specifically international cinema, it was in the late nineties and it it was a really awkward period for LGBTQ films in part because you could see folks towing the line between wanting to make festival films that were like artsy and they had something to say, but also realizing like, "Mm, if we're going to play queer films uh, or a queer film festivals like there needs to be some partial nudity or like suggested like wait we need to get our actors taking their clothes off and this kind of stuff and so often the films were just really fucking bad and you'd see like international films where it would be like oh well this is how you get north american audiences is like put in a dash of nudity and i was so worried programming this particular film because i was like I don't know a lot about Germany's genre output, and I was really worried that it was not going to be handling its material sensitively. So I was, I was just really happy to see that we we found so much worth talking about, but good things to talk about yeah. too. And I was a little bit worried myself after seeing the film and then reading what all these people right. who watched its opinions and the terminology and the way they were talking about this film, I was like, what were we watching the same film? Like, what did they see that gave them these impressions? Because I, I don't know. I, I, I definitely, I, I hear what you're saying. Well, no, but, but that's also, it, it, it's, 
even though 2014 doesn't sound like it was that long ago, like oh, it was. it's yeah. seven it years was. ago, and we as a society, well, some of us as a society, <laughs> have, uh... have, have, have learned so much more and become more aware of so many more things. So I, I do wonder if this was released today, if the reviews would be a bit different in their verbiage. Yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, like, to be entirely real and open, I mean, 2014, me in 2014? I was literally living a different life as a different person right. with a different name. You know what I mean? Like, that is mind-blowing. Like, if I would have seen this film in 2014, I would not have the knowledge that I do now, and I would not have viewed it the same way in any capacity. I probably mm-hmm. would have just brush it off like okay that was weird and just like moved on like i don't think i would have been hit the way that i was now and so i mean that's just my opinion so i totally hear what you're saying like it it sometimes feels like a year is a huge difference when it comes to awareness for for anyone really i mean it only takes a couple months of learning to change someone's entire opinion about something so yeah Seeing those people who reviewed this film in 2014 maybe rewatch would be definitely, honestly, kind of cool. It would be kind of interesting to see. Well, hopefully, and I mean, not to like tout our influence, but hopefully this episode <laughs> like makes more people like seek this out, you know, and, or if you're, you're listening to this and you haven't seen the movie, I mean, again, like go watch it. Like it is easily available, which I was shocked at because I remember when Joe programmed it, I was like, are we going to be able to find this movie? Um, mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, yeah. we can. <laughs> well, and, and kudos to streamers because one of the essential assets, particularly in programming queer horror is that you... Like, there's a lot of outlets, but not all of them are user-friendly. Not all of them are financially feasible to people. So being able to just access some of these movies for free and all you're paying is your time is, like, it, it's essential. Honestly, I completely agree with you. And I actually heard that there was a censored version of this film oh. where the penis is not no. shown at the end. And and <sighs> I think that that's such an important yes, shot for the is. film. Oh my god, yeah. it's essential. Yeah, I actually found out from the comments on Shudder, and I'm wondering if Shudder had the censored version before and now has the uncensored one, hmm. or if uh, those were viewers that had seen it from uh, from another platform, but people right. were were literally saying like, "Oh, like too bad this was you know that you know this was missing this scene." Um, but then the later on in the comments, people were saying like, "I'm so glad this had this scene." So I was like, "Oh, that's interesting that there must mm, not there must have been a version that was missing that." And so um, when you said this movie was widely available, I want to put it out there that if you haven't seen this movie or if you have seen this movie and you're listening and you were lost when we got to that part it's possible that you saw that censored version because that and you should find the uncensored one if you can because that scene was so monumental to the end it changes the film if you don't have that moment yeah and and all of us can vouch shutter does have the uncensored they do yeah i I know tubi's the free streamer app and but so but we can't vouch for whether or not they have the uncut version or not right (laughs) the uncut version sorry (laughs) okay well that has been der samurai everybody and listeners yes let us know what you thought and 10 thank you so much for coming on to talk about this this has been a very enlightening conversation yes oh yeah thank you so much once again 
This was a great experience for me to get to, you know, just hear both your opinions on such an interesting film and just hang out and talk about movies in general with both of you. I, I appreciate this and I was excited about this for the last, I don't know, a couple of weeks. So oh. thank you so much for uh, having me come on and uh, for picking such a such a crazy movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, let everyone know, where can they find you on social media? Absolutely. So you can find me online um, at blueiris04. That's going to be on most social media and letterbox and things like that. I'm primarily on Twitter as far as like social media goes. Um, you can also find uh, my book and website page with my uh, partner, Ren Crane, at transploitbook um, and at transploitationbook on Instagram and soon to be website i don't have the url for that at this moment but that will be coming up very soon i'm very excited about that and um you can find the links to all my information on my social media pages so yes and as per usual we'll, we'll share your socials on our on, in the show notes as well but yeah everyone please follow them so that you can keep an eye out for transportation yes because think about it it's an entire book comprised of analyses on films like this like it's going to be fucking fascinating <laughs> thank you well if you want to get in touch with us you can reach us on twitter and instagram at horror queers uh join our facebook horror queers group where a bunch of our listeners hang out go to our letterbox to keep track of all the films we've covered and finally um go watch our youtube videos of our micro queers recordings because those are really fun to watch joe and i stumble through oh my god if you have a moment, please rate and review us on your podcatcher of choice, though Apple Podcasts is preferred because it really helps us in those search results. And if you want even more content, please support the show by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash horrorqueers. Um, today, the day this episode drops, is September 1st, so um, we've got a whole new schedule out. Go subscribe to hear our episodes on Nia DaCosta's new Candyman, James Wan's new film Malignant, Netflix's new series Brand New Cherry Flavor, and an audio commentary on 30 Days of Night. Joe? Yes? What are we talking about next week? I'm so excited. Oh my god. Okay. So this is actually one of the movies that we have gotten the most requests for. So we're going <laughs> to revisit the listener survey from 2019 when everybody was like, Hey, you dumb motherfuckers. Can you cover It Follows? Yep. Ooh. I'll go ahead and spoil our guest for that one because uh, my, my husband will be making a return appearance. So uh, if you don't know who he is, go listen to our episodes on, well, um, a, a problematic film, uh, The X-Files I Want to Believe, which has an interesting uh, Ooh, yeah. trans narrative. Ten, uh, take note of that motherfucking film. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> If you have not uh, seen the X Files too, um, there 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 is a plethora of things to analyze in that movie, and of course our episode on I know on I know what you did last summer. So um, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I'm worried. Whenever Ari shows up, uh, that's when we get bangers of episodes, but also they're spectacularly epic. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're long. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Uh, so yeah, everyone. Until it follows next week, we can cross out Der Samurai. Yes, and cross out horror queers.